morning. Every day is a blessing from the Lord that he has given us. And we want to extend a warm welcome to each of you who have joined us this Sunday morning as we worship the Lord together here at the Winkler Burktaller Mennonite Church. As you worship with us this morning, we pray that the Lord will lift your spirits and any burdens that you may have as you lay them down at the cross and as you worship and praise the Lord this morning. And as we praise the Lord, may you find joy, rest and peace for your soul in the promises found in his word. As we begin our service, let's focus on the Lord through his word found in Psalm 145, seven verses. It says this, a Psalm of David, I will exalt you, my God and King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, his greatness. No one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell you your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundance, goodness, and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Truly, all of earth's creations cry out in praise unto the Lord, and more so should our voices who have been redeemed by the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we come before you into your house to worship you and to praise you. We thank you that you are a God who is awesome and who loves each one of us beyond imagination. You have blessed us so well here as we live in Canada, material, financially, and however most important, you have sent your Son into the world to redeem us. And each person who has made that decision has has felt your redemption in their lives. I pray, Father, that as we worship you today, that you would show us your greatness one more time, and so that we can walk with you day by day, As we pray and we bring our problems and our difficulties before you, and you said that you will never leave us or forsake us, you will go before us. And Father, we thank you that we can have this relationship with you. I pray now, as we go into the rest of the service, that we would bring honor and glory to you as we sing your praises, as we worship you through the message that will be given, the word that is read, and the encouragement that is found as we give to one another and praise you at the same time. So thank you once again that you are present. We give you the praise and glory for everything. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, we're going to have the quartet, and they are going to share with us. Good morning. We'll make it a duet today. (laughs) But we're counting on you to help us out, so please... Stand with us, and we'll start by singing Days of Elijah.
songs. Join us as we sing, Be Exalted, O God.
surrender everything to God. And this song talks about that. All to Jesus I surrender. hoping to see some five to seven-year-olds this morning. <laughs> Doing the children's story always makes it more difficult when there's no, no children. So, thank you, Vic. <laughs> so if some of you want to get into the mindset again of a five to seven-year-old, that'd be great. 
And this object lesson is actually geared, sorry, for that age group. So as I was driving around Winkler this week, I was noticing all the Christmas lights and just enjoying the, the colors. And I thought maybe this Sunday I should do something Christmassy. So I see pumpkins, but I chose to do something Christmassy. And maybe it's a lesson that will, will um, sorry, that will um, get us ready for the holiday season. I'm just wondering how many of you have your Christmas trees set up? All year. All year. That's good. Well, the Christmas trees are a really good symbol for Christmas. And as you can see, I have brought my the tree that I usually set up in my classroom I brought with me today. And, you know, when we usually set up a Christmas tree, we tend to look at the top part of the tree and totally forget about the bottom, the base. And we forget about it so much that we actually just that we actually tend to cover it up. Oops, this isn't working. Hope the rest goes better. We actually tend to cover up the base with a tree skirt, so we totally forget about the base altogether. But really, is the base of the tree important? Even though we focus our our we look at the top of the tree, but is the base important? It certainly is, because without the base, our tree would topple, and all of our decorations would fall, and maybe some of the ornaments would break. So the base is very important, but we tend to forget about it. Now, let's think of, of Jesus as being the base, and the tree as being Christmas. So we'll go to... This is my morning. So we'll go to, we go to Christmas concerts. We go to, we go to um, parties, Christmas parties, staff parties, classroom parties. We might go shopping. We might bake cookies with our moms or grandmothers. They watch Christmas movies. But you know what? Oh, and we might even look forward to those presents, which is the topper of the Christmas, right? Presents. It's always a topper. Hey, now we've enjoyed all those things at Christmas. What happens? Remember we said that the base was now Jesus. So what happens if we forget Jesus? He's still underneath our tree skirt. What would happen if we didn't have Jesus at Christmas? We wouldn't have these things to attend or go to. We wouldn't have Christmas concerts, Christmas programs. We'd have nothing. We have to remember that Jesus is the reason for this season. So when we look at our tree, let's remember that Jesus is the base. And you know what? He doesn't mind if we do all these other things, but we need to put him first. And then begins, he still wants us to enjoy these things. And we want Jesus to actually light up our Christmas season and be the focus. If you want to say John 3.16 with me, that'd be great. I thought that'd be a very fitting verse for this morning. So for God so loves the world.
Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we ask that this Christmas season that we focus on you and that we look past the decorations, the programs, and the presents to really focus on you and the reason we do celebrate Christmas. For Lord, you have given us the best gift of all, and that was your son. Amen. Before we go any farther, I'd like to say this. We got good news, you know. And one, one month from now, four weeks, the days are getting longer. And then, a little bit over four weeks from now, which is really exciting, we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's even more exciting. You'll see that in the order of service, just a little bit different today, if you look down towards the bottom. Um, following the prayer and benediction, um, we're going to be having, Daryl is going to stay with us for a little while, and he's going to give a presentation leading with vision, and we encourage you all to stay for this time. And then there's going to be a time for questions and answers. So um, we just encourage that. Also at the end of the service, when we do dismiss the people, we want to dismiss the people in cohorts rather than moving all towards the door at once. We'll start at the back on the right-hand side and then go to the left and then here and then here and then the people from up top then can leave. So um, we'll give more instructions as, as time goes on. Um, there'll be a brief time if you have to leave right after the message or after the benediction that you will be able to leave, but we really encourage you to stay behind and listen to the presentation that Daryl will be bringing for us. This week, um, 9.30 a.m. on Tuesday, Women's um, Prayer Group, and then 7 p.m. will be the council meeting, and on Wednesday, 2 p.m., the Bible study on Revelation. Of course, next week, um, we will be having communion service. And there will be um, Men's Sunday School next week, but not this week. There's no Men's Sunday School. And um, 1045 Special Sunday School also. Uh, A number of people that are in the hospital or are sick. Uh, We have Olga Friesen, Dietrich Martins, Anne Thiessen, Betty Reimer, who is in Emerson at this time. Um, P.L. Suderman will be going um, for some tests tomorrow, and we want to remember them in prayer. It's so important that um, as we go through life and when we have burdens, especially with our health, that we can pray for one another. And we can remember also Preston and and Myra Wheeler as they are ministering. Uh, this today, of course, planning session. Our church has been in preparation to have a planning session about the future of our church. And we have invited Daryl Kaler of Scope Leadership Development to bring the message this morning. At the end of the service, he will share about leading with vision workshop that is being planned here at the church. And we encourage everyone to stay and listen. And as I've already said, there will be a question and answer period to follow. Deacon elections will be coming up, and that will be held on November the 29th at the membership meeting. The deacons' nominees are Dennis Dennis Dirksen and Dietrich Martins. And then our community and other events, 10,000 Villages Seasonal Store, 
will be open until December 24th at the Winkler Library Meeting Room at 160 Main Street. See the poster bulletin board for hours and operation. And Winkler Bible Camp is holding a winter drive through fundraising meal on December the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd from 5 to 6.30 p.m. They have decorated and even more of their site this year for Christmas. Meals must be pre-ordered either at winklerbiblecamp.com or by calling the office at 204-325-9519. At this time, I'll ask that you bow your heads with me as we come before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we come before you For you are the one who we worship and adore. You are the one who gives us strength. You are the one who walks with us. You're the one that sees us through each and every day. And should you pull your hand away from us, this world in its entirety would fall. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we bring requests before you. And it just seems that if we suffer, so many times we suffer because of health reasons. Heavenly Father, we bring Olga Friesen before you at this time. Lord, as she battles the cancer with her neck, I ask, Lord, that you would have your hand upon her. Give her strength. And Abe at this time, as she he, as he also seeks to minister to her. I pray, Father, that you uplift them both. And may they feel your presence this morning. May you go with them and give them strength. We pray for Dietrich. Lord, we ask, Lord, your hand would be upon him. Lord, as he has suffered a stroke, I pray, Lord, now that you'd continue to bring healing. We thank you for the progress that has been made. We pray that you have your hand upon Marge, that you'd lift her up at this time. Give her strength as she supports Dietrich. Lord, may you bind them closer together as they walk with you, and may they become more dependent upon you. Even through this, we pray for his healing and restoration. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Anne Thiessen. Lord, we realize, too, as she has gone through a serious bout with health, I ask, Lord, that you would minister to this day while she is in the hospital, that you would uplift her Lord, draw her close to you. May she know that you are near her. And as she praises you today, Lord, that I pray that you'd wrap your loving arms around her and she would know that you are near. I pray for Betty Reimer. Ask, Lord, that your hand would be upon her. Give her strength, too. As she suffers with cancer, I ask, Lord, that you would lift her up. And as she is away from us in Emerson, I pray, Father, that many people would take the opportunity to go and visit her, to give her encouragement. We thank you for the peace that you have already given to her, and we know that her trust is in you. So we lift her up before you, asking, Lord, that you would restore her health. We pray, Lord, that you would minister in a special way to her. Lord, we pray for P.L. Suderman. We ask, Lord, that your hand would be upon him as he goes for tests because of the shortness of breath. We ask that you would minister um, to him, Lord, and that, that as the doctors give a diagnosis, that they would be able to, to prescribe a medication or whatever he'd have to do in order to bring his breath back. I ask, Lord, that you would sustain him and Megan as she supports him. Pray, Lord, that this day, as they worship at home, that you would be near them, that you draw them close to yourself. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the church that you have established here. 127 years coming up. We ask, Lord, that your hand would be upon this church. And, Lord, that you would still raise up many people within the church itself to take the gospel not only to our community but to our province and around the world. Heavenly Father, as we have these planning sessions, we pray, Father, that you would guide and direct, that you would give us your vision and your passion for the church so that we could continue to minister, that we could continue to do your bidding. And so we ask this, Lord, that you would give us the strength, give us the wisdom, and give us the courage to make the next steps which are so important and crucial. Lord, we thank you for our deacons. Lord, we ask, Lord, as um, we have two new individuals who will be running. We ask that you have your hand upon those. And once again, Lord, we thank you for the deacons who are who have been uh, ministering so far. We ask that you would continue to have your hand upon each of them. And then, Lord, we realize um, our congregational meeting, quarterly meeting, will be coming up um, on November the 28th. We pray, Father, that all things would go according to your will. We pray that you would be lifted up, and once again, there'd be many individuals placed on committees who would come and serve you with a full heart. And so we'd ask that you would go before us at this time. Thank you, Lord, for each person you have brought out today. We ask, Lord, that your hand would be upon each individual as Daryl will be coming in a little while to preach. I pray, Father, that um, you would speak through Daryl, that you would encourage us. We pray that you would anoint him. Once again, we know that you have a message that you have placed on his heart for our church. We pray, Lord, that we would listen with all ears so that we can go out and do your bidding. Now, Lord, we pray that as each person who is gathered here today, that their hearts would be prepared for the rest of the service, that you would be honored and glorified in our midst. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, we'll call the ushers forward.
We'll be reading Nehemiah chapter 1 from the NIV. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting with verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive attentive, and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Many of you already are familiar with Daryl because he has spoken here in the past, and I've known Daryl for approximately 15 years. He grew up in Altona. He studied at Steinbach Bible College. He married Elaine. He spent 12 years as a missionary in Bolivia and with the Spanish and Low German Ministries. He also has done some consulting for the government. Um, They have four children, him and Elaine, plus a son-in-law, and currently they live in Niverville. He founded Scope Leadership Development five years ago, working with churches, business, and other organizations, teaching them biblical principles, how they can run. And uh, he's across Canada and also internationally. And so I'm going to introduce um, Daryl, come. And while you are coming, and once you're up here, I'm going to ask you to introduce to us your bodyguard that you said you had at the beginning. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Dean. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, good to be here with you. And yes, I didn't come alone. In fact, my son is here, Jory. My son-in-law, Michael, who's six foot seven. And uh, also one of our daughter's boyfriends, 
Jeffrey's here, so they told me on the ride up here today um, that uh, I could preach whatever I wanted to. They would escort me out if needed be. So I'm not sure if that was to protect me, you know, from the listeners or as to protect my own reputation if I start to to go off track on on something. But uh, so uh, it's good to have them here. Uh, my wife Elaine isn't uh, here today. Um, is this other mic on? Okay. My wife Elaine isn't here this morning. She uh, had planned to come last week when we were going to be together here. But uh, unfortunately, that didn't work out with ever-changing regulations. Uh, and this week she had something. They had a girl's day planned already for quite some time. So uh, good to be here with you. Thank you for the opportunity, invitation from Pastor Dean and uh, your church council to be here this morning. I uh, appreciate your creativity in, in making things work so that uh, we can continue to get together even uh, when, when things change around us. Um, well, I did grow up in Altona. My second home, I considered Friedensry, uh, just out of here at my grandparents' farm there. Uh, spent a lot of time there. was the oldest grandchild, and so I trailed Grandma and Grandpa around the farm a lot. Spent a lot of time in Winkler, and uh, glad to be uh, here, with, here with you today. I uh, do currently live on Yonseed, Niverville. And uh, right near the Mennonite Landing, where our first ancestors, for many of us, first came to Canada, starting 1874. Um, you know, at one time, and some of you will remember, Ditseed and Yonseed was for had had a lot of emotion to it, <laughs> more than it does today. Very important, you know. Somebody got married from somebody from Yonseed. Well, that raised the eyebrows a little bit. Um, who, who could that be? Nowadays, it's not such a big deal. I mean, travel is so easy. We, we, we cross that river all the time, and, and really it's, it's relatively insignificant, although uh, we still like to kind of jab about that. But in our day and age, we face other divides, other challenges, and none less than the last 20 months that we have faced, and and we cannot go anywhere uh, where that's not impacting. And and I've had opportunity to travel these last, uh, you know, this year I've been a, a few times in Mexico and a couple times in Belize as well. It doesn't matter where we go. Um, this is the topic of the day, um, the un the unspoken. My father-in-law, um, he was in the hospital uh, fairly ill, and uh, when he got tested and so on and. When asked, you know, Dad, what did you have? He's in northern Alberta. Now what Amak Dan Hod Zeta, whatever that was. He couldn't get himself to say the name COVID, <laughs> like a bad, bad word. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it has really impacted us as a society, as, as a, as a people. And, and I enjoy, of course, because I get to work with different organizations and different cultures. And, uh, it's one of my passions. See the impact in in different ways, but uh, we are called to to carry on. 
All right. Well, it's good to be here, Pastor Dean, with you. I uh, got to know you in, when you were in Saskatchewan, you and Cheryl at that time. And, and I should also mention uh, Pastor Jake Dole, or Dell, um, is an interim pastor in Altona. I've been working with that church as well, so we really appreciated him. Maybe you primed him for uh, the work that he's doing there. And he'll be wrapping that up end of December, actually, uh, his time there. We've really appreciated uh, his time time there. All right. Um, I, the, the message that I've, um, I want to bring today, I want to call, I call it built to last. Some building blocks for life and leadership from the book of Nehemiah. And it's something that I use a lot in the workshop that we're going to be talking about leading with vision. The last time I preached this was in Belize in August when, when I was there. And, uh, had a number of, did a, a fair bit of work there with businesses as well as some of the churches there, but took some time one day to go visit one of the Maya ruins called Caracol. And this is uh, just a remarkable uh, place to see in in Belize. And so we walked around there. The the amazing thing, and this is a picture I took just in the in the heart of of what they call Caracol. It's a compound, a large area, and and historians tell us that uh, that area region covered approximately two hundred square kilometers which is an area much larger than present um, day, or, or 200, yeah, and, and it was massive. Actually, I got the numbers a little wrong, but it was bigger than present day Belize City. Just that, that community there, Caracol. Uh, amazing, and some of it still stands, and you can walk around on there, uh, there's rich stories that are told. Uh, you can see the, the Kana, they call it, or the Sky Palace. It's the largest building there. It's still the tallest man-made structure of 43 meters tall in Belize. And the dates of this go approximately 1200 B.C., so 1,200 years before Christ to approximately 1,000 years after Christ, or A.D., and that's when this was built, and much of it remains, and yet they're uncovering what has been covered by the Belizean jungle for years. Was it built to last? I imagine when they built that, without the modern machinery and technology that we have today, remarkably, amazingly built and straight and strong, and many of these structures stay, and yet there is some crumbling going on. I want to talk about built to last. Built to last as it applies to our personal lives. Uh, Not that we won't get older. We do. Time goes on. It always has and will, will continue to go on. But can we leave a legacy that lasts? What is it that we can leave that lasts as God intended that? And we can apply this as a church, uh, building a church. And we're not talking about church building, although those are fine and we certainly need them in our Manitoba weather. But building a church, a people of God, that will not drift from its God-given mission, that will maintain the age-old message of Jesus Christ, 
and that is also able to pivot and be relevant uh, to the needs that we have around us in our changing times. So whether we're talking about personal or corporate as the body of Christ, there are challenges to living out our God-given purpose to its fullest. And that's largely what it's about living out God's given purpose, the God-given purpose that he has for us. Um, I, I learned a new word this, this summer. It's not really a new word, but it took on new meaning to me. And some of you have maybe heard this. Uh, it's, it's, the word is called la- is languishing. Have you heard of that word languishing? And it's kind of been going around uh, a little bit more. And uh, it, there's a great article written on it. There's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called Languishing by Adam Grant, a new, in, found it in the New York Times, in case you're interested. But uh, what he's basically talking about is psychologists measure mental health on a spectrum between flourishing and depression. So flourishing, uh, that's at the peak of well-being. We're doing great. We feel empowered. We feel a sense of meaning, mastery. And we matter to other people. And when people find themselves in that state, they tend to be in that state that we call flourishing. On the very other end of the spectrum is what we, what psychologists would consider depression. And that's the valley of ill-being. Okay, when people are despondent, they're drained, don't have the energy, or a plotich would design mout, hanich mout, completely drained, and uh, feel worthless, don't feel value uh, to to other people. So those are the two extremes, flourishing, depression, and then somewhere in the middle is this range called languishing. And languishing is... Um, the absence of well-being, but it's also not in the depths of despair or of mental illness. Um, and this whole pandemic uh, and the loss of normal, as we've known it, has left many people in this state of languishing. It's sometimes called a neglected middle child of mental health because it can dull your motivation, can dull your focus, and psychologists are saying it might even be the dominant emotion of the year 2021. Uh, here's a quote that Adam Grant has. Part of the danger is that when you're languishing, you might not notice the dulling of delight or the dwindling of drive. You don't catch yourself slipping slowly into solitude. You're indifferent to your indifference. When you can't see your own suffering, you don't seek help or even do much to help yourself. So, languishing. Now, this morning, even if you're not languishing, personally, I'm sure you know somebody who is. Could be your children, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I mean, we're all impacted in, in different ways. So, the big idea of my message this morning is that if we want to build a life or a church, or a ministry that lasts, or that has a lasting impact, we need a few key building blocks that we can find in the biblical example of Nehemiah. I used Nehemiah in the Leading with Vision workshop or or seminar 
that, that I do. And, and so I'm going to give you a, a sneak peek into it this morning in the sermon as we do this. So if you do have your Bibles, you can open up to Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll, we'll start there. We're going to be looking at four building blocks out of the first six chapters. So it's going to be kind of, we're going to be hopping through. It won't be a pure exegetical message this morning. And as we look at these four building blocks, they may not apply equally to you. They probably won't. But I encourage you to listen for that building block or those building blocks that will be most helpful to you as you build your life on Jesus Christ. And there's an application here for the church as well, which we won't get into in detail this morning, but, but they can apply as well. We'll make some reference to that. So building block number one is quite simply to seek God for direction. And in chapter 1 of Nehemiah that Myron read to us this morning, uh, we, we find there Nehemiah seeking God for direction. Uh, Nehemiah had a vision from God. And, and it came to him in chapter 1 when the news from his brother Hanani came and talked about the despair of his people the despair of the people of Israel in Jerusalem. The walls were broken down. The people were living in disgrace, uh, in, in a tough place. And verse 4, Nehemiah says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. It was a burden that came to him. His vision came to him in the form of a burden. And here's what Nehemiah did next, which is a building block for building what to something that lasts. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And you can read, we can read part of Nehemiah's prayer, very beautiful prayer. But when Nehemiah received his vision, that burden to help his people and to do something specific about it, uh, he struggled, but he took that struggle to the Lord in prayer. Now, it tells us that for, you know, he prayed and fasted, more than prayed and fasted, uh, for some days. Uh, sometime it's gonna be like that. Uh, it's gonna be a period of time of seeking God. We find in Nehemiah that there are many references in these first chapters of him praying to God or asking the Lord of the heavens, as it says. And some of those were really quick ones. In chapter 2, for example, when the king asked him, so Nehemiah, what's wrong? Uh, there's something bugging you. He's in the presence of the king. And uh, he had to be pretty professional. He wasn't being acting very professional because of the burden that was on his heart. And it says, and I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. There he didn't take a long time. Say, Excuse me, king, I, I've got to go away and pray. No, the king asked, what's up? And he had an answer, but before he answered, he prayed to the God of heaven. It would be one of those sneaky prayers that you do, oh, Lord, give me wisdom. <laughs> uh, help me right now as I talk to, to that person. It's not the length of time, but it's the direction of our focus. And seeking God for direction is what Paul uh, sorry, Nehemiah is teaching us here. It's really easy, as you and I know, to go through life or periods of life forgetting this simple thing. 
We know it maybe in our heads, but we don't always direct our hearts in that direction. It's so easy to rely on ourselves uh, to do what the world around us, society around us values, and that is, you know, find the strength from within, uh, rely on, on us and, and more knowledge. Not that those things aren't, aren't bad in and of themselves, uh, but, but God calls us to seek him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, is what Jesus said. And one of the things that I, I often ask people um, is, is, you know, what, what's your sense of purpose? What do you want in life? As I use this in career coaching, in executive coaching, with businesses, in, in churches. You know, your church, why does your church exist? Is, is one of the questions that, that I pose in, in leading with vision. Uh, but, but it's the end question saying, so it's answering why. Why do you do what you do? Uh, in, in Canada, you know, we're, we're facing a somewhat of a crisis. There's a lot of those questions being asked. So as I've already alluded to, uh, our, in our home, we've got a lot of young adults. If you can call 30, 30 and below, call them young, young adults, asking a lot of important uh, questions in life. It, it's a season of life where a lot of decisions get made. What kind of work will I do? What kind of studies will I do? Will I study or won't I? Who will I marry? Will I ever get married? Um, where will I live? Uh, so many options that are, are before us. Now, some of you maybe aren't facing those kind of questions, career questions. Uh, if you're retired, you can relax a little on some of those things. Uh, but, you know, my kids have sometimes asked me, so dad just wished that it was like I loved, I knew what I was going to do, like you do. And I love what, what I get to do, but, but it's certainly been a journey to, to get there. And some of you can look back and, and, uh, think about some of the choices that you had to make in those times. But the fundamental thing is still to have a direction. And as followers of Jesus Christ, that we, number one, seek God for direction. This whole COVID pandemic has been a, what Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, calls a great curveball. It's been a curveball that's been thrown our way, and it simply reveals, in most cases, what's already been there. In many countries, and some that I get to travel to, they're used to crisis all the time. This is one more. Um, the insecurity is all around them. In Canada, it really throws us for a loop, and we don't know what to do. In my opinion, we panic a little to one extreme, uh, and and we we but we we're trying to to figure this out. But what really is important to me in that is how people, individuals, are dealing with this. And there are many people that are languishing there in the middle. As a church, we're seeing this hitting our Canadian churches hard. And in most cases, I think simply revealing what's already been there. But it's causing us, it's giving us opportunity to think. In some churches that I have opportunity to work with, I think of one in particular, uh, this last year and a half, boy, has been the best thing that could have happened. It was like a recess time. (laughs) 
God gave a recess, said, you know, the classroom's getting a little rambunctious, out of focus. Everybody go play outside for a while. Now when you come back in, we'll talk about this. <laughs> and so it's not always a bad thing. In fact, it's always good when it causes us to reflect. At least for me, I look at it as an exciting opportunity. But maybe it's because of the stuff I like to do. But regardless, whether we like it or not, it causes us to reflect and ask some good questions. First Corinthians 4.18, the Apostle Paul said, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I have a good pastor friend, a mentor of mine from Bolivia, who's gone to be with the Lord now, but I remember him saying this, and it's... It, left an impression on my mind. He says, much of what we see is never going to last. Most of what's going to last is what we don't see. God building in us those eternal things. So I don't have a five-step formula on exactly how to play this out, seeking God for direction, but, but I've got three simple things that are pretty easy to keep in mind uh, that can help us when we're seeking God for direction. And the first one is simply to look up. Begin by seeking God. Digging into his word. Being sensitive to his Holy Spirit. Obeying what we do understand. There's a lot that we don't, and, and we'll continue to learn from in his word, but obeying, looking up to him, or being obedient to what we do understand. That's a key one. The second one, first one's look up, the second one, look around. Ask God to open your eyes and ask him to show you how he wants you to respond. Many times we want to look too far and, and just look right now and say, God, in this decision, in, in this part of my life, what would you have me to do? Not what would I like to do, what, what are all the other voices around me uh, trying to say, what would you have me to do? And, and as we look around, we sometimes need the discernment of other believers uh, to, to help us sort those things up. Look up, look around. The third one, look within. Now, I'm not saying look within in the way our society many times says that, but, but what I mean by this is, is take an inventory of your spiritual gifts, your God-given personality, who God has designed you to be. Uh, God designed you, God created you uh, with your unique personality, with your unique gifting, your calling, your passion, the experience that you uh, bring with you. God has prepared you this far and I believe that's a really important aspect for the direction that God continues to use us forward. So as we look up to him, we look around at what he's doing as we look within and, uh, and acknowledge God's design for us. Uh, this, simply, this often means simply being alert to those things, listening to God as he reveals himself and his will in us. Seeking God for direction. I'm not going to take as much time on the other three, but this one is really important. It, it's so fundamental, it's so simple, we already know it, but we often need to be reminded of these things when we're to be distracted. The second building block is a courage to act. Uh, why, one of the reasons I love Nehemiah is that he was a man of praction. 
I say praction because he sought God. He's a man of prayer. He sought God in different ways, but he was also a man of action. He took that time to pray, but then he also took deliberate action. And, and I love this about Nehemiah because some of us would rather take more time to ponder and pray about things. And we might never be quite ready. In fact, we're prone to get caught up in analysis paralysis, right? We don't yet have enough answers. We need to know a little bit more. And so we have this nice Christian way of, of, of often stopping the work of God by saying, well, let's pray about that a little longer. I think we should do that. Let's pray about it. And until the action people get worn down, we hope, right? Uh, so, so, but prayer is important, okay? I'm not undermining that. Really important. We need to seek God. That's important. And, and, and in fact, that's, that's fundamental. Then there's the action side of it. And there's some of you that, that can hardly sit still long enough because you want to do something. Right? Maybe right now listening to the message. Uh, but, but, or, or maybe you did when you were younger. <laughs> for some of you. Uh, but, but also in the church or, or wherever it is, you, you want to do something. And like, you, you're just kind of thinking like, let, let's just do something. We'll figure out what along the way. Right? And, and almost it can be dangerous as well when you're speeding down the road and you don't, have a good direction. You got to keep it the road. But but both are important. Prayer and action. I love to call it praction. And in between, Nehemiah included other people. He brought them together. He did his homework. He did great planning. But he did not get bogged down in analysis paralysis. And I consider this a question of obedience, having the courage to act. So, for example, in chapter 2, if you look in your Bible, in chapter 2 is where Nehemiah is in front of the king, and uh, it says he was very much afraid when the king asked him the question, and uh, I think really Nehemiah was afraid, you know, and well, what Nehemiah said, uh, may the king live forever, I think Nehemiah was really thinking, I hope I can live a day longer, because he's not acting very professional in the presence of a powerful full king. And, uh, you know, the king said, what is it you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. And Nehemiah jumped right into action. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. And the king asked him a question, how long will your journey take? When will you get back? In verse 6, I please the king, please the king to send me, so I set a time. I mean, Nehemiah was ready to go. He, and, and the conversation goes on. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors? And on and on. Nehemiah had sought the Lord, and he was ready to go. He needed some permission. He needed resources. He needed uh, different things. And, and the king even got involved <laughs> in all of this by providing resources. And along the way, Nehemiah included many other people in the Acts. If we would read through more of chapters 2 and 3, and if you check it out, Nehemiah did some very meticulous planning, and, and perhaps he, had, he probably had other people around him that helped him with uh, all of, of this. But he had the courage to act, not only to understand what God was calling, but 
the courage to act. And there were barriers along the way. I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. The book of James is a great one to remind us to put faith into action. James chapter 2.17 says, In the same way, faith by itself, it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I heard recently a message somebody said on this same passage, faith without works is dead, faith with works is deadly, as far as getting something done. (laughs) There will be action. Stuff is going to get done. And by and large, I'm going to say in our Mennonite culture, we have this aspect of get or done, okay, at least in the business world. I must say, not always in the church world. (laughs) But we have this strong work ethic, which is really important, and we need to apply that when it comes to our lives and church. So we need both. We need a sense of God's calling and the courage to act. I like Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, where, where he emphasized that we need to look for where God is already at work and join him. God's already there. If he's given the idea, he's already there. And he's inviting us to step into that. Many times our greatest barrier is our own willingness to take action. When we already know what the next step is. And some of this has to do with our God-given personalities, which I'll talk about really briefly after the service uh, as as well. And um, But that's the second building block, the courage to act when we know what to do. And that leads us into the next building block, which is resilience to challenges. Sometimes we know what we need to do, but there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be barriers to doing that. And that might actually pull us back <laughs> to number two, where we won't quite have the courage to do what it takes. What do we mean by resilience? And I use that word. Resilience is the ability to adapt, to withstand adversity, and to bounce back from the difficulty in life events. So things like trauma, tragedy, threats, stresses, the, the ability to, to walk through those, to make it through those, and to keep on going. And when I just, and, and we all face life challenges. Some trials will come at us like an angry lion. Other trials are going to nibble us on us like a duck. <laughs> but they're going to be there. Uh, for us. We all face them. And I dare say, as I look around the auditorium here uh, this morning, I have great respect for, for those of, of you that have more decades of life behind you than, than I do. And uh, you have, uh, you are examples of resiliency in so many ways. And I love hearing stories uh, from folks like yourselves in, in the tough things that you have gone through that many of us younger ones and younger ones uh, don't know about, but they have formed your character and shaped you to be who you are today. The Bible has a lot to say about trials and difficult times. For example, James chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James also says, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I had a coaching call recently with um, uh, a leader who's going through a very difficult time. And it was, it, it brought to my mind again and, and reminded him that I don't know of any leaders 
or effective leaders that have not gone through very difficult moments in their life. And, and I won't say that God causes those things, but I do believe he allows them as part of character development within us. And it's actually part of the journey. It's part of, of life as we know it. Uh, but he calls us to become be resilient, not relying on our own strength, but relying on his. Here's a few things about challenges, trials, tough times that I know are true. They're, first of all, they're inevitable. They're unavoidable. They're normal. Yeah, they're uncomfortable. In and of themselves, you don't choose them. I also believe that trials are required to enhance our effectiveness in what we do. They're also seasonal. And that may vary in timing and intensity. Um, as, you know, in some of them, we may live with some things uh, in this life as well. Nehemiah faced many trials through opposition in chapter 2. Verse 10, in fact, before he had even started something, the enemies heard about this and they were very disturbed and someone had, that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites, is what verse 10 tells us, chapter 2. Uh, the, the moment, it, and it, in fact, it can be a confirmation when you sense God calling you to do something that there's going to be some opposition. We ought to expect it. We ought to be ready for it uh, and and just face it with with God's help. Um, in in chapter two, verse nineteen, there's ridiculing that that goes on, and um, there's mocking. And in I like in chapter two, verse twenty, Nehemiah answered them by saying, "The God of heaven will give us success. We, His servants, will start rebuilding." But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim to its historic right to it. So, um, and I could go on, I won't say a lot more, but as the work began, the opposition also intensified. And I'm not suggesting that we seek the opposition, it'll come on its own. But that we do the right thing, that's what's really important. And, and this is where we need, especially some of you that, that are able to sort through all the the distraction and, and the difficulty around and, and still be able to see what the right thing is to do and what the next step might be in that. So that's the third one, resilience in challenges. Uh, but I, the, the last thing I'll say on that one is, is in chapter 9, or chapter 6, verse 9, where Nehemiah says there, but I prayed, Lord, now strengthen my hands. Now strengthen my hands to face this next trial that's in front of me, this next challenge that's in front of me. And I'm not, I don't, you know, I like the word challenge because they're not always negative things. Uh, they just stuff that needs to be, be done. Let's go to the fourth building block, which is giving God the glory. Giving God the glory. In chapter 6, verse 15. Scripture tells us, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. I'm told that was remarkable. I'm not an engineer. I don't know the specifics on that. But those that have studied this historically um, understand that 52 days was absolutely amazing. The people worked together on it. There was alignment in, in what they did. Verse 16 says, when all our enemies heard about this, 
All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because, and this is what's really important, because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. When God gives a vision, he also gets the glory. It's really about him in the first place. It's really the outcome of those first three building blocks. When we seek God for direction, we have the courage and faith to act. We're resilient in challenges. God gets the glory. I love the way Rick Warren starts his book, The Purpose Driven Life. By the way, it's a good little book to, to give away or to read devotionals. Give them away to, to people that, that you know. Chapter 1, first sentence of that book, it's not about you. It's not about you. Unlike the title, it says a purpose-driven life, and that's what the book is about, but it's not about you. God created us for his glory. I love to be outdoors. Uh, just love it because it's, it's a reflection of God's glory. And so are you. God created you to reflect his glory. And the glory ultimately goes to you. I know it's like, I forget who wrote the book, The Cracked Pots. <laughs> Sometimes I might feel like cracked pots. Right? We're not perfect. None of us are. But, but God in his grace reflects his glory through us in different ways. And it's recognizing God's almighty hand at work in and around us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God created us for his glory. You've got up, uh, I love the verse you have here, 1 Corinthians 3.11, that you have up front here. Einen anderen Grund kann niemand legen, außer dem, der gelegent ist, welcher ist Jesus Christus. There's no other foundation laid than is in Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, when the rubble is cleared, when all else is, is taken away or, or pushed out of the way or we, we look through it all, God gets the glory. He's the foundation. The foundation remains in our lives as well as in our corporate life as the church. So my prayer has been preaching this morning and preparing for this that that uh, whatever out of this would land for you, you know, that God would take that and, and use that in your life. And, and some of you might be languishing this morning. Uh, I don't know, but in the areas of your life where you are, uh, I am in some areas of my life. You're not sure what's next. You're maybe paralyzed by life circumstances. Um, you know, I, I hope that these building blocks can help you in, in some way. And for some of you, you have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren that are languishing. It's been a tough year and a half uh, for, for many of our young people uh, who have life choices and it looks like they're all being, you know, disturbed. You know, we have a daughter studying in university at home. Like, that's not a lot of fun. Uh, you'd want to be, be with, with friends. And, and I want to encourage you to encourage others 
Uh, if you've built these building blocks into your life, encourage others. When I have opportunity to speak uh, to groups of young people, and I have an occasion to ask them, how many of you would love to have an older mentor in your life? Generally speaking, those hands shoot up quick. They need that. They want that. Uh, I I need that. I still need that um, in in our lives. And and so you can be an encourager using these building blocks and helping others build these building blocks into your life. So I trust that at least one of these building blocks has been encouragement to you, seeking God for direction, the courage to act, resilience and challenges, and giving God the glory. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've been able to have together here this morning. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here, those are listening online. May you bless them, may you strengthen them for the work that you have called them to do in their individual, personal lives, but as well as corporately as a church. May you make us sensitive, may you help us be more sensitive to your call on us as your body, and the courage to act, to follow through, and to give you the glory for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for that. And let's respond by singing number 558 in the hymnal, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Please stand.
Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God of our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement, a good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the service that we've had today. We thank you as Daryl has come and challenged us from your word. And of course, Lord, it has to be your way and done in your um, uh, timing. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to go with us um, even now as we are about to listen to Daryl speak for just a short time and then answer, ask some questions and answers. We pray, Father, that once again you'd open our eyes to where you want to lead and guide and we ask that your grace would accompany us. So thank you once again for the time that we've had this morning here. We give you all the praise and glory. Amen. You may be seated.